Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy has been showing us the details of the doctrine of salvation. Today we'll see from Romans 3, 25 and 26, how God remained both just and holy in how he deals with and forgives man's sin. All right, I want to turn your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans, chapter 3. And I would like to commence our reading once again, Romans, chapter 3, beginning at verse number 24. And then we come to our text in verse uh, 26. But we read from verse number 24 to verse number 26. Paul writes to the Roman believers and he says these words. He said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him that believeth. I want to read verse 25 and verse 26 again. My text is going to be verse 25 and 26. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God to declare I say at this time the righteousness that he might be just and justifier of him that believeth in Jesus Paul wants to go further in these verses verse 25 and verse 26 now the question of course is why does Paul feel obligated that having mentioned these nine different elements of, con of salvation he still feels constrained to talk about the righteousness of God in relation to the remission of sins. Why does he feel constrained to do this? But this morning I want to point out to you further that the Apostle Paul, having mentioned those things, he still feels he has to go on and tell the believers even more about their salvation. So notice what he says in verse number 25. We said, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith. And we dealt with that last sermon. We dealt with that. But then Paul goes on to say, in verse 25, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him that believe. Now why does Paul feel compelled to go beyond the blood and propitiation? propitiation. Why? Why could Paul not have drawn a line and said, okay, I've given you enough, but why does he feel now to go even further to talk about the death of Christ is a point where God is putting forth something and declaring God's righteousness in respect and remission of sins that are past, that he may be the justifier and just of those uh, who believe. I want to call your attention to three things this morning. First of all, I want to say that 
God is doing in verse 25 and verse 26, God is doing three things. Number one, God is displaying something. He's setting forth something. I want to talk about what is God setting forth in the redemption of Christ. Secondly, uh, Paul says, not only is he displaying something, but God is also declaring something. What is God declaring in respect to our salvation? And then thirdly, I want to show you that what God has displayed and what God has declared is designed to defend the holiness of God in the way God has dealt with man and forgiven man. Paul is concerned to vindicate God. I keep saying this, you know, God couldn't just say to people who committed sin, you know what? I just forgive you. I just pardon you. God couldn't even do that. The reason why God could not do that is because God is not only a God of love, He's a God of holiness. He has to fulfill the demands of His holiness to forgive you. He can't bypass His holiness and forgive you. And that's the problem I have with all this talk about love, love, love. We make it though as though the cross of Christ is just about showing God's love for man. Now there's no doubt it's about showing his love for man. There's no greater display of God's love than the cross. But could I say to you there was something more important than that? The cross of Christ and the death of Christ is about vindicating the holiness of God. Above everything else. To show how holy God was. Not just to show how loving God was, but how holy. That's what Paul is dealing with here. What we have done is that we have made the death of Christ all about love. But we have forgotten that the cross is primarily about God vindicating his holiness. I'll show you that shortly. Now you see why the apostle Paul must go even further. To explain this great doctrine of salvation. It's not just about grace and love and pardon. It's not just about propitiation. Not just about justification. It's about vindicating God's holiness. I will help you to understand that shortly. So if you don't comprehend what I'm saying. I hope by the time you finish it. You get a glimpse of what I'm trying to point out to you this morning. But the first thing is that uh, Paul tells us that God is. Setting forth something in verse numbers, uh, verse 25. Whom God has set forth. So God is displaying something. He's exhibiting something. But then you notice that uh, Paul also mentions in, in verse 25. After he talks about God setting forth Christ as a propitiation. He says to declare him. So God is declaring something as well. God is declaring that in dealing with man. He has not sacrifice his righteousness, God is declaring his holiness in his dealing with man. I'll explain to you why that is so important. And then thirdly, I hope to show you that what Paul is really doing here is vindicating the way that God is able to forgive man and still remain just even though he forgives the unjust. How could a God have done that? And the point I've said repeatedly from this pulpit It took the genius of God to solve that problem. I tell you, you couldn't solve it. I couldn't solve it either. No man had the capacity to solve it. But the infinite genius of God came up with a solution 
that a holy God remains holy while still forgiving the sinner. Does that not compromise his holiness? How then can he be just and justifier at the same time? Well, pastor, I'm not interested in that. Let me tell you something. If you only understand the gospel in terms of God's love, you have not fully understood the gospel as yet. I repeat. If you only understand the gospel in terms of God's love, you have not fully comprehended what this gospel is all about. And I hope that you'll see what I'm coming, where I'm coming from by the time we conclude this sermon. Let's deal with these three things this morning and the time that we have. And let, let's draw your attention. First of all, Paul says in verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. I want to look at the word there, set forth. God is setting forth something. God is displaying something. Uh, I mentioned to you that the, the, the Greek word is the word protithemy. And it means to place before. It means to set before, to look at. It means to expose to public view. Uh, Vincent in his word study says it means publicly, it means openly. Uh, Bengal says it means to place before the eyes of all. So at the cross, what is Christ placed, God placing before the eyes of all? What is he trying to manifest? What is he trying to make plain? What is he, this? what is he placarding before the world on the public, on the, on the world stage? What is he doing? And this is, this is the, what God was doing there is that God is saying to you, the death of Christ is not an accident. I brought about his death. I put his death on public display. I did that. So any idea that Christ's death is an accident is fictitious. And by the way, the reason why I'm saying that is because one of the worst things you could ever do to rub the cross of his glory is to feel sentimental about the cross. You know, people say, oh, it was so sad that he died on the cross. Oh, he was so good for this planet Earth. His teachings were too rich. His, his character was so profound. Oh, it's a terrible thing that by accident he was killed. He was just too good for planet Earth. Oh, how we feel for him. If that's your attitude, you've missed the whole thing. God is saying, I set him forth. I put him on display. It was not an accident. Don't feel sorry for him. You remember our Lord... When he came out of Pilate's judgment hall, after they beat him into pulp, he could hardly carry the cross. And they grabbed him, a man called Simon of Cyrene, and put the cross to carry him. And you remember as he begins to carry the cross, you remember that the women that followed behind him, and you remember they begin to wail and to weep, and Jesus said, stop, stop! Don't weep for me! Don't cry for me! Cry for yourselves and your children! In other words, what is happening here is by divine design. It's not an accident. Don't feel sorry for me. The sentimentality that surrounds the cross causes us to lose the true significance of it. That God was displaying in Christ's death. He was placarding before the world. That this is his plan. This is his design. This is his purpose that is being fulfilled. This is not about man. This is about God. That's what the cross is about. You remember Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost 
You remember what Peter says? He says, what has happened has happened because of the predetermined counsel of God. God has determined this. Christ is crucified because in the eternal counsel of God, he already predetermined before Christ was even born. Christ was slain for the foundation of the earth. This is God's plan. This is what the cross is about. Is God displayed to the world. God's solution to the problem. It's not just about man. It's chiefly about God. Glory comes to him. When you understand that it is he that has done it. So don't feel sorry for the cross. Such sentimentality robs the cross of his glory. It was by divine plan Christ died. It is God displaying his righteousness. So he's putting something on display to the world. And he's showing that Christ is God's propitiatory sacrifice. Remember what I said that term means? He is the mercy seat. First time that that word is used, mercy seat. But he's not only the mercy seat, he's also the sacrifice that puts on the mercy seat. His blood, he's the mercy and his blood goes on the mercy seat. He's all in all. He has provided salvation for us. So God is declaring to us and to the world. The cross is not an accident. It is God's divine plan that was fulfilled in Christ's death. Because he was God's propitiatory sacrifice before the very foundations of the earth. In the counsel of God, God had already decided. Could I say before you were born... Before I was born. Before planet earth was tossed into the universe. In the eternal counsel of God. He already decided. Christ would die. So why this sentimentality that we have. Why we don't understand the great grand and glory of our great God. That he was thinking of us. Before we were even made. Is anything more glorious than that? That you are so valuable. He's, who do you think about? Do you not think of that which is precious to you? What a marvelous truth we begin to understand. That's why Paul has to push back the horizons of their thinking and go beyond just propitiation and blood. He said, look, I want you to be... The God put in something, setting forth. He displaying something. And then secondly, this morning, Paul says, not only is God setting forth something, but Paul says in verse number 25, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins... Uh, that are passed through the forbearance of God. And then in verse 26, they declare twice, Paul says as well, God is declaring something. He's not only displaying, he is declaring. Now, what Paul is now going to explain to us is the whole rationale behind God's plan. Paul is going to explain how God engineered this whole thing so that he is just and still can justify the sinner. That is what God is, Paul is saying here. So the cross is not just about a display that this is God's work, but it's also a display, my dear friend, of how God's righteousness was fulfilled and his holiness was, uh, was engaged in this whole act of salvation. I want to notice a few, few words there, by the way, we look at this text. First of all, I want to notice the, the, the word declare. 
It's a different word than the word to set forth. The word declare means to, to show, to demonstrate, but I like this line, to prove. God wants to prove something to us. And I'll explain to you why God wants to prove something to us. So the cross, God is not only declaring something, God is also trying to prove something in relation to this great doctrine of salvation. And what God is trying to do here at the cross is to declare his judicial righteousness. Now let me explain that for just a moment. His judicial righteousness. This is what he's putting on display. His judicial righteousness. Now, what we mean by that is God is displaying his equity. God is displaying his moral holiness. God is displaying his righteous character. God is showing his essential righteousness in inherent right. This is a, God is showing his attribute of holiness in the cross. Especially in dealing with this whole matter of sin. And I want to explain to you why that is so very important. Notice what Paul says in verse 25. To declare his righteousness for what? The what? He's declaring his holiness, his righteousness, his, his, his attribute of, 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 of righteousness uh, in, in relation to what? The remission of sin. You see the word for? That word for means in respect to, in relation to, to, in relation to. So what Paul wants to point out is this. Not only was God righteous in forgiving your sin and my sin because Christ died. But Paul is going to show, push back that and go back beyond that period. And Paul is going to show how God was righteous in overlooking the sins of the past. You see that word remission? That is one of the most unfortunate translations in the King James Version. Don't take my word for it. Go home and get your Bible concordance and check the word remission in the Bible. And you'll find it's mentioned 17 times. 17 times. And the word that is translated remission is the word aphesis. That's what the word transmission means. But the word that Paul uses here is not the word remission. Paul uses a completely different word. And the word that Paul uses in, in this passage is the word parasis. And that word parasis means, and I'm going to give you a word now, pretermission of sin. Now I'll explain what that means. I'll explain what that means. And why Paul is going in this train of thought. Let me explain why. Now the word pretermission or the word that Paul uses here, paresis. Refers to, it is used in the Roman law. Here I am, I am writing a will. But in writing my will, I deliberately exclude you. I bypass you. I overlook you. This is what Paul is saying here. He's explaining how God is holy and righteous in respect to how he dealt with the sins of the how he overlooked the sin, how he bypassed the sin of the past. Because I remind you, whatever God does, he has to be holy. So here's the problem with salvation. Now we can understand, when Christ died, he can forgive you and forgive me. Because Christ paid the price already for sin. But how could God forgive people before Christ died? That is the divine dilemma. You think sin is easy? 
Brother, let me tell you, sin is the most complicated thing on planet Earth. Very, very complicated. So it's not just about Christ dying and forgiving sin because Christ died. But the problem is this. How then can you explain that God forgave people before Christ died? This is what Paul is trying to explain. In the Old Testament, when a man committed a sin, I hope you and I are not foolish enough to believe that rams and goats and sheep and the ashes of a, a red heifer could wash away people's sin. I mean, come on, man. Come on. I hope you don't believe that that could wash away anybody's sin. But so that, how did God deal with sin in the Old Testament? Two things. Number one, God enacted a temporary measure where he could cover the sin and overlook the sin. So the innocent died for the guilty and the blood was shed and God said, I overlooked that. But God did something else. He took your sin and my sin and he put them in a suspense account. He held them in check. Waiting the death of Christ. But you see, in the mind of God, Christ was already crucified for the foundation of the earth so he could come with a temporary plan to put your sins in suspense. That is why the Bible says, that the bulls and goats could not deal with the conscience. I used an illustration before and I use it again. You come to my house. I know you're coming. And I want to get everything ready. So what I do, I sweep the dirt under the, under the rug. I sweep it under the rug. I just want to just make you think I'm a clean person. I'm actually quite dirty. But you're coming. I, I want to impress you that the house is impeccable. But I got a problem. All the time you're sitting down by the rug, I'm saying, I hope you don't pull that rug up. I hope you don't make the mistake of pulling that rug up. So you're there with me and my conscience telling me, I hope they don't look under the rug. The rug has a little bump in it. I just hope they don't look under the rug. That's like the Old Testament person. He knows the animal's blood is shed. God has made a temporary method to deal with him. But he's wondering, how in the world can an animal die for me? I'm a man, that's an animal. See? So conscience always was concerned about this matter of sin. But then when Christ died, what he did, he pulled up the rug and took away the sin. The suspense account now is gone. See? This is what Paul is talking about here. But what Paul is saying is this. The way God dealt with sin in the past, it might seem as though God was overlooking the sin of the past. Because how could God... Now, God said he hates sin. God said he will punish sin. God said he will pour his wrath upon sin. But here for centuries are people sinning and sinning and sinning and God's wrath is not poured out. Oh, how could you be a holy God? How could you be a righteous God? Did you not say you would pour your wrath? How is God just now? And Paul's point is this, that when Christ died on the cross, God was now pouring out all his wrath on Christ. See? He didn't forego his holiness. He didn't compromise his holiness. He punished his son with all the wrath that was due to man. See? That's the glory of the cross. Man. That's the real glory of the cross. See? So Paul is saying here that salvation entails more than God's love. For man, it entails God's holiness. That God had to act in holiness. God had to pour out 
God in wrath on his son for me to be forgiven and for those sins in a suspense account to now to be made void. You know what that all means? How do we treat sin so simple as God's people? How do we come to faith in Christ? And then we go out there and live as though sin doesn't matter. You tell me. Do we understand the gravity of our sin? Do we understand the holiness of God? This is why when you go into the details of salvation and you really understand what took place on the cross, it's not just about love. It's about the display of God in His holiness and vindicating that He was righteous. That's what's involved in this matter. You remember Paul in Acts chapter 17? Remember Paul goes to Athens and Paul begins to preach to the Epicureans and the Stoics, these philosophers. And Paul tells them something, you know, they started uh, uh, asking, you know, who is this mocker? But you remember what, what, what Paul says? Paul says to them, I want to tell you that there's a time when God did bless men and so on. And then Paul said, there was a time when God winked at these things. That's what he's talking about. There's a period in history. When it seemed as though God winked at man's sin. He didn't pour his wrath on man's sin. But then Paul says, but now he commandeth man everywhere to do what? Repent. You know why? Why? Because at the cross, he vented his wrath on Christ. And that does not repent of his sin. That wrath will also be poured out on that man. No more winking. No more winking. There's another passage in scripture that brings this whole thing, which is perhaps the best commentary on this passage of scripture. Look with me at uh, Hebrews chapter 9. For just a minute. Hebrews chapter 9. And verse 13. And Paul says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of, uh, of heifer sprinkle the unclean sanctifier to the purifying of the flesh, how much more should the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot before God, purge your conscience. You see, under the Old Testament law, there was a kind of a ceremonial cleansing. A man went in and he was cleansed. And he went away, you know, he was cleansed ceremonially. He felt good. But when he got home and he really gave some thought to it, oh, wait a minute, what does this mean? How does an animal cleanse me? So conscience is there. And then Paul points out now that in Christ's death, it not only has to do with the flesh, but the purge of conscience and dead works to the servant of the living. And then verse 15. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, get this words, for the redemption of transgressions that were under what? The first testament. They which are called might receive the promise. So Christ's death not only took care of our present sin and our future sin after his death. It was retroactive as well. It took place of sins that were committed under the old covenant. Listen, the greatest philosophy is Christian philosophy. You cannot, listen, you get into the depths of scripture. That is why no matter, listen, you ever went to a Christian bookstore yet? 
You ever look at book after book and book? You ever, how, 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 wait, how so many books? You go into another, you go on Amazon and you check up questions. And you're, you're baffled. Because God's word is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. After all these 2,000 years, we're still writing about him and the cross and the principles of scripture. And by the way, if the Lord wait 2,000 years, we'll still be writing about because the book is inexhaustible. We need to get into the book and understand the book. And especially delve into this realm of this salvation to understand this great doctrine of our faith. And that brings me to the final point that I want to say that what Paul is really doing here is vindicating the character of God and to show to you that he did not violate his holiness nor his righteousness in the way he has dealt with man today. It might have seen that he passed over these things in the past. But he passed over these things because in eternity, Christ was a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And he put this temporary measure in place with a suspense account, as it were. Because he knew that Christ would die and his death would be retroactive for the sins of the whole world. By the way, is that not what John says? And he is our propitiation. But no, no, is he's our propitiation. He is what? Our propitiation for what? The whole world. That's why I have a problem with Calvinists who believe that Christ's atonement is only for the elect. I have a problem with that. If Christ died for the whole world, he just didn't die for the elect. The elect are those that believe. But he died for the whole world. His sin covered the whole world. Why limit it? For man is not saved and a man is lost because he would not believe on Christ. He would not trust Christ. It's not because Christ didn't die for him. What do you do with the Bible, my dear friend? The problem we have today is imposing our theological view on the scriptures with a grid. And every time we see through the grid what we want to see. Let the Bible speak for itself and preach what the Bible says. You may not be able to totally explain it because there are a lot of antinomies, a lot of apparent paradoxes. But the point is, you just preach the word as it is. The election, preach election. You come to whosoever will, preach whosoever will. Don't try to explain how these things mesh together. You can't. Far more brilliant minds than yours and mine and everybody else have tried to explain these things. But we've got to understand they're parallel truths. Taught in scripture, and we must teach them and not be a fearful and trying to explain God. You can explain God? Who are you? You're a puny little mind. See? You're just a lily pushing when it comes to God. See? Just speak the word, preach the word. So, Paul is here talking about thirdly that he is he's trying to vindicate God's way of dealing with man. So, God is just. In dealing with man. But not only that. Paul said he's not only displaying that he is just. But he's also what? The justifier. And brethren the only reason. That God can forgive and pardon the sinner. Is for one reason only. Christ dealt with all sin in totality. 
past, present, and future. Now, I mentioned before there's a great doctrine that, not a great doctrine, there's a, a doctrine that's confusing the churches in Barbados. The outer darkness doctrine. I gotta deal with that because it's, it's, it's pretty good. It can come here as well, you know. This outer darkness. And the outer darkness doctrine is, came about to solve the problem of what happens to a believer who professes to be in Christ, but yet lives like the devil and dies without confessing his sin. What happens to that believer? Now, the Catholics solved that problem a long time. If Catholics say you're going to purgatory, yeah, they solved that problem a long time. That's the way of purgatory. Now, you ask them how long you stay in purgatory, they can't tell you. But I'll tell you how you can get out of purgatory, pay to say mass. To have a high mass and a low mass in between mass. And you keep paying mass. And pay. It's a, it's a, a mean of bringing money into the coffers, by the way. I don't know if you know that. It's one of the ways of bringing money to the church. Because, you know, you've got an old granny that you wonder where your granny is. Well, she's in purgatory. How do you get granny out of purgatory? Well, let's have a high mass. How are you going to? Let's pay to get the high mass. But where's granny? Well, she got one foot out. One foot out. So say another mass. Well, where's she? Well, she went back in. She got more feet in. Well, she had one foot. Well, she couldn't jump out, right? <laughs> it's a money-making racket. It's just like indulgences. Uh, Luther with indulgences, you know, that I, you can buy an indulgence and I give you the next six months you can sin and your sin is covered because you pay for the indulgence. Luther got so mad about that. By the way, the Catholic Church never stopped indulgence. I hope you know that. They still do it. You can still buy repentance, brother. You want to sin for a week when you have carnival? Go and get an indulgence. Now, what I'm telling you is not fiction, you know. I see some of you looking. It's not fiction. Read Catholic theology. Talk to any Catholic priest. You see what I'm telling you is true. Now, it amazes me that that can still be true today. With all the Bible knowledge we have. But remember what I said, we are in the age of biblical illiteracy. People go to church and they never open the Bible until they come back to church. They're just totally dependent on the priest. Whatever the priest tells you, you believe. Oh, my dear friend. How indifferent we are to the truths of God's word. But the point I'm making here is that they solved this problem. Now, the, the problem say, we got to solve this problem too. The Catholics solved it a long time ago, so let's solve it now. So when a person who is a Christian, uh, who commits sin, dies without confessing, we say, well, we got to solve that problem. We put him in outer darkness. Well, Kwame, you know what I'm learning that outer darkness is right now? Outer darkness is here's the kingdom of God. But there's a suburb of the kingdom of God called outer darkness. So what happened, Brother Kwame, is that for a thousand years, all the good believers are living in the kingdom, and you're outside there looking in. You can't get in. Brother, it's breaking your heart that you can't get in. But it's something else. You can get licks. They can't tell you what many licks you're going to get either. You should be beaten with many stripes. So what stripes that mean? Now listen to me very carefully and I hope you understand this. Christ's death has covered sin. When you get judged, you're going to be judged for your works. Your works are going to be tried. The sin problem has been dealt with, has been covered. By the way, if that were not true, how many sins you need to commit not to get in, not commit, not, not to get into uh, the, the suburb? 
Well, brother, if I'm in outer darkness and I see you inside, I quarrel and I want to know how much, how much, how much less sin you committed than I did. And brother Kwame, I know you quite well. So I can tell him. The point I'm making here, really, is that Paul is saying that God is vindicated because he acted in righteousness when he poured out his wrath on his son. His son paid for the death of our sin, and now God is seen to be just. If he had not poured out his wrath on his son, he could not be just. He had to be just. That's why he poured out his wrath on his son. But because he poured out his wrath on his son and exhausted wrath on his son, he's now in a position to say to you as a sinner, I can forgive you because all your sins paid for. That is what the economy of grace is all about. That's the great mystery of our salvation. Brother, you could take that to the bank and cash it. You're going to bite your nails. Am I getting to heaven? How much time am I going out of the darkness? Christ has paid it all for you. Rejoice in that. Be happy in that. Let that be your glory. But understand one thing, it's not just about the love of God for you. In salvation, it's about God displaying His holiness. Vindicating His holiness. See, That is mainly what salvation is about. What we get is just a fridge benefit. What I'm saying to you, everything in the universe is about God. Everything. His glory. Well, if you don't like that, sir, I don't know what to tell you. Oprah, uh, mostly like, I'll be like Oprah Renfrey. You ever know what Oprah Renfrey said? Hmm? You know what she said about Jesus? Hmm? Oprah said that the problem with Jesus is he's an egotist. He wants everything to revolve around himself. I got the quote for you, by the way, in case you doubt that. He's an egotist. He wants everything to be about him. About him. His glory. His praise. His singing. About him. He's an egotist. I will tell you who's an egotist. See? There's no person more blind than the egotist himself. See? She wants the world to be centered on her. She would rob Christ of his glory. But in truth, in fact, it's about him. It's not about her. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. So Paul is here in dealing with this great doctrine of salvation. Is in this section vindicating the holiness of God. And showing how because of God's holiness, man can be pardoned. He's just and he's justified. Hallelujah. If you are here this morning without Christ. I've got good news for you. And the good news is this. The price for your sin has been paid. And God now extends an amnesty of grace to you. But it's all contingent on one thing only. Your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, that's what salvation is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who sat and listened. Trust that we've done justice to your word. In bringing out the truths that Paul felt important for these young believers to understand. Oh God. As Paul said. God forbid that he should glory. 
in anything save the cross of Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto him, and he unto the world. May this be the same truth about us. May we glory in the great salvation you've offered to us. May we praise your holiness. And may we have gratitude for the grace that flows out of that holiness in making Christ the propitiatory sacrifice that paid the price for our sins. Oh God, if there's one here that is searching and seeking, who's trying to find an answer, how can I be right with God? How can I have my sins pardoned and forgiven? How can I know that the holiness of God will not in his wrath be poured upon me? Oh, may they see that one hanging under the tree and seeing that God has vented and exhausted his wrath on him so that we may be pardoned. Oh, Father, lift up Christ. Let men see him. Display him in all of his glory. Manifest your marvelous grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us that salvation also eliminates all human boasting. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.